remember playing your first instrument in school? Maybe it was the flute, the trumpet, the drums, or perhaps the piano. Today, music education is facing an uncertain future because of budget cuts. But there is a movement underfoot to implement and preserve music education in public schools. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, as part of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, we're turning our attention to music education. With state budgets shrinking, music programs in public schools are often the first to lose funding. Today, we'll explore the efforts to keep music alive in schools, including the advocacy of Broadway legend Carol Channing and Bon Jovi keyboardist David Bryan. School districts across New Jersey were forced to lay off teachers and cut programs last year because of dramatic budget cuts. Though music programs suffered, there are nonprofit organizations stepping up to make sure music stays in public schools. Reporter Abby Wendell took a deeper look at what's going on in Montclair, New Jersey. Sixteen kids sit in a semicircle holding brand new Fender guitars. Today's lesson is how to play the three chords used most often in the blues the A, D, and E chords. you got to really curl that pinky. Remember, curl those fingers, right? Like cat's paws. This is only their seventh class, but these students already know what songs they want to learn. Nine-year-old Claire says everything on the radio. Her friend Nora is more specific. Um, Taylor Swift and... Yeah... Claire and Honora are students at Hillside Elementary, a public school for third, fourth, and fifth graders in Montclair, New Jersey. Though their guitar lesson is taught by their public school, it is not funded by the public school system. Felice Harrison, the district's assistant superintendent, says Montclair schools simply can't afford it. Last year, Montclair lost more than half of their state aid. According to Harrison, the loss forced them to cut some of their funding for music education. Even though we value in Montclair the arts program, music, um, instrumental music, vocal music, um, the the creative arts, the visual arts, those are some of the programs that unfortunately, because of the budget cuts, are the first to be um, offered up, if you will. After the cuts, music teachers were let go, and there were fewer instruments to go around. So Montclair Public Schools teamed up with Parents Who Rock, a local nonprofit organization that plays music to raise money for charitable causes. After the budget cuts, Parents Who Rock decided music in public schools needed their charity. Alma Schneider is the founder of Parents Who Rock. She says Montclair residents were eager to support music education. At first it didn't seem like the most, you know, tear-jerky uh you know, cause, but once you started talking to people and talk about the benefits of music, what this means in a child's life to be able to have music and to be able to express themselves this way, uh, it's, you know, people kind of turned around and thought about music in a different way. And we all realized that we had taken our music education growing up for granted, how much it had provided us. And uh, people want to make sure that their kids get that same education, that same opportunity, and that same exposure to music that they had growing up. Parents Who Rock raised money for the program by giving performances. They sold CDs and threw themed benefit parties. In one year, they raised $23,000. That money paid to start the guitar program in the district. Now, more than 350 students are learning to play the guitar. Schneider, who is also the parent of four kids attending Montclair Public Schools, thinks the New Jersey government should support music education. But when it didn't, she says she felt compelled to help. I absolutely believe that 
that the schools should be funding these programs, not the parents. But we're in a bind. You know, what do we do? Sit back and watch, you know, watch these programs deteriorate? Or do we take action and get done what needs to get done? Parents Who Rock is only the latest fundraising program for music in Montclair Public Schools. The MFEE, the Montclair Fund for Educational Excellence, is a nonprofit organization that has been raising money for public education programs for the past 16 years. The organization holds benefits, cultivates donors, and applies for grants. Most years, they raise close to $700,000 for the school district. Robin Schlager works for the MFEE. She says music education programs are in constant need of their support. A lot of the money that, you know, that the programs ask for are strings to restring guitars, bows for the violins that break, dr- um, the dr- skins for the drums. It's constant maintenance. According to Assistant Superintendent Harrison, without money from the MFEE, Montclair music education programs would suffer. I don't think we could be doing half of the things that we're doing specifically in our arts and music pro instruction if we didn't have the support of MFEE, so they're critical. This year, music education in Montclair is keeping afloat because of these nonprofit organizations. And with the district already preparing for more cuts next year, it's looking like they will be called on for more support in the future. Abby Wendell, WFUV News. David Bryan has established himself as a singer, songwriter, composer, and lyricist through Bon Jovi, and now through his Tony Award-winning musical, Memphis. Music has impacted his life in so many ways and has clearly defined his career. Bryan understands how important it is to expose kids to music at an early age. David Bryan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. You're welcome. How old were you when you first got involved with music? Well, my dad was a jazz trumpet player in uh, 1950. He played with Hot Lips Page just for a year, and then um, his parents made him get him a job. And then when I was five years old, he taught me trumpet. And then when I was seven, he had heard about this uh, in one town over, a classical piano teacher, Emery Hack, who actually led the NBC Orchestra for 16 years on radio, Juilliard graduate. And I went to him when I was seven. I uh, never forget it. I just remember him playing Brahms and Schumann and Schubert and Chopin and Beethoven. And I couldn't believe that that sound was coming out of that piece of wood. And I said, I, I wanted to do that. And he said, you know, don't waste my time. I said, I really have a clear concept on time at seven. And I studied with him every Wednesday for 13 years. Beyond the music lesson that you got from him, what else do you think that taught you? Well, what he did was he was he wasn't he was a classical player, but he wasn't a staunch classical where he wouldn't look at any other music. Like when the, when I was growing up, when I got into the Beatles or I listened to the radio, and I was like, wow, I love the Beatles, I love the song. He's like, okay, let's see how it's broken down, let's see how he composed it. So we would look at the form of the song. I just wanted to be as good as him. Now, of course, today it's very important for you that young people also have access to a music education, right? Well, yeah, I mean. My, uh, growing up, I had, uh, like I said, piano lessons at home, and I went to school, and I, I took trumpet, I played violin, I did everything uh, I can get my hands on, and it was all available. What lessons do you think music education teaches kids beyond the music education itself, beyond learning how to play an instrument? Well, it teaches you about work and goals. You know, if you don't practice, uh, it's the one thing you can't fake or lie. If you don't practice, you're not good. If you, um, there's a certain amount of natural ability, but you have to, you can't fake it. You have to put the work in. And if you put the work in and then at the end, uh, the end is the reward is you can actually play it and it sounds good. 
you uh, in a band situation, you learn how to cooperate with other people, how to work with other people, how to, you know, all the, the social interactions that go with it. You know, and also for in, in different areas where there's uh, maybe not so good choices after school, uh, you stay after and the band is a good thing to stay after and, and learn. How do you feel when you hear that school districts are canceling those kinds of programs? I'm involved a lot on a lot of levels with music education from uh, Save the Music from VH1, I, I just one of uh, Music for All, a foundation that, that actually goes after government. A- anytime those they, uh, they, they think that uh, music is the thing to cut, it's the last thing you want to cut. I understand you help to sell special bracelets to benefit music education. That was one, like I said, I'm in a number of charities, and that was one of them, the Music for All, uh, which we just raising money. You know, we did Inspire Change for, uh, for Memphis, uh, where uh, Joe DiPietro, my writing collaborator, him and I, um, you know, we, we started off, and, and it's getting those kids to see a musical. You mentioned Memphis, and of course we're talking about the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical Memphis. That sounds good. You wrote the music and co-wrote the lyrics for Memphis. Tell us more about this musical. It's uh, Right, I co-wrote, uh, Joe and I, I did all the music. Joe and I co-wrote the lyrics, and then I co-orchestrated it, so I won two Tonys for that, and then we also produced it. So I won three Tonys personally, and then he also won three Tonys because he wrote the book. And the show won four altogether. Uh, it's a show about, uh, it takes place in 1950 in Memphis, Tennessee. It's about loosely based on a bunch of DJs at the time, and it's, um, it's about the first white DJ to uh, put African-American music on the radio. And even then, the radio was segregated. They only gave the African-American stations only the top and the top and the bottom of the dial, which didn't go out as far. And a love story at the same time, an interracial love story, which at 1950 was illegal uh, for a, a white person and an African-American to be married. We're running this contest here for high school musicians. We'll be sending them, the winner, to see Memphis. What do you think even that experience does for a young person, the ability to go see a Broadway show like this? It's always live, no jive, you know. It's, uh, you see it, it is, uh, there's, you can't fake a live situation. There's a real band on stage playing. There's real actors that have to act, that have to sing, that have to dance. And then you learn about that time period of, uh, you know, in 19, uh, 1950, what's actually happening. David, thanks so much for your time. Okay, you're welcome. That was David Bryan, keyboardist for Bon Jovi and co-writer of the Broadway musical Memphis. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Bodarki. Today, we're focusing on music education and efforts to keep music programs in schools. It's part of our Strike Accord campaign here at WFUV. For more information, go to WFUV.org slash Strike Accord. Our next guest has a lot of experience as an educator and has devoted her career to preserving music education in schools. Joining us now on Cityscape is Catherine Dam Kohler. She's the executive director of a group called Education Through Music. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure, George. Thank you for having me here. What is the mission of your organization? Um, Education Through Music was actually um, developed 20 years ago while I was a principal of an inner city school in Mount Vernon um, by two wonderful gentlemen who founded the organization um, with this 
incredible mission statement to bring quality music education to every child in a school in order to support academic achievement and general development. What were you seeing that was going on in your school that made you think, you know what, if we incorporated more music into the regular curriculum, then these kids would respond? I have been an educator for all my life, and in the 70s, music was taken out of the school, and and it continues to be taken out of the schools, the first thing to go because of budgetary constraints. And I tell you, George, there must be 10,000 wonderful studies out there that show and prove that having music as a part of a well-rounded education, children perform not only better academically, but better in life. However, the first thing to go is the music or any of the arts. So... The reason for education to music is to really prove how music could really support learning in other areas. It's very important for any organization that partners with schools not to have their own agenda, but to really look at the agenda of the school. And at the end of the day, we want children who are great readers, great mathematicians, and lifelong learners, but also children who have a a well-roundedness to them, and the arts absolutely provide that. In the school that I was in, I saw the arts helping children who couldn't learn in the regular context of the day, that they needed something else. So there are so many wonderful transferable skills that happen in the context of the music classroom. We learn how to compare and contrast. We learn how to predict. We learn how to pattern and sequence. And all of those skills transfer into helping a child become great readers, great mathematicians, and lifelong learners. Give me an example, Catherine, if you will, of a success story about how music transformed a young life. As an educator, you often come across children who struggle with reading and in math. There's no interest in school. They, the, the absenteeism goes up considerably. The children feel very frustrated. They feel um, really depleted. They, their self-esteem is terrible. And then they come into a school where there is a well-rounded education. And I'm great arts programs and great music education. And the child has an opportunity to be successful in that in that particular discipline, that transfers, those emotions transfer into wanting them to come to school. Um, Every day, we've seen a little girl at one of our schools in the Bronx, um, actually in PS68 in the Bronx, one of our wonderful partnership schools. And this little child really struggled with learning. And there was serious absenteeism. And she was outside of school one day, and the principal was closing the school for the spring holiday. And she ran up to the principal and said, why are you closing the school? Why are you doing this? She says, well, we're all going home. Remember the week? She says, no, you have to promise me you open on Monday because that's when I have violin. There you go. So it was a wonderful testament to the fact that a child who had absolutely no desire to come to school could not wait to get there and was so devastated over the fact that the school was closing on a Monday. You know, our approach is is really something that I wanted to talk to you, and I was so grateful to have this opportunity today. A quality music education really approaches school the way an educational reform should approach a school. You find a school where there's a great leadership because leadership is so key to ensuring that the children are going to have that wild, that well-rounded education. George, I can't tell you how many wonderful principals are out there that just don't value music and make decisions about taking it out of the school. I was going to ask you that question. Mm -hmm. Is it sometimes difficult to get traditional teachers, educators on board with this kind of programming? 
It is um, a lot, of, and it's not their fault. A lot of people just don't value music. They had, they were a product of public education when music was taken out of the schools. So, you know, if you don't value something, why would you include it? And if you don't understand the merits of it and how it could really support the academic achievement, you're going to think that it's just a bunch of kids. You're going to think of music as an isolated or fragmented part of the curriculum. You know, a pick up and drop off program. We'll, you know, oh, we're having music today, so let me drop my kids off and I can go have a cup of coffee and it's just a nice 45 minute waste of time but our approach is very different um, first of all education and music serves every single child this is not a lottery system for having music education we do not serve just one class we do not serve just one group of children we do not serve an only an after-school component it's a non-negotiable that every single child including special needs has music education at least once a week throughout the entire school year absolutely non-negotiable how many schools is education through music working with right now we're in 25 schools we serve a little over 13,000 children um, we have an affiliate office in the um, Los Angeles area and one in the San Francisco area. And that came about because we wanted to see if the model is transferable. And it has been successful in both areas. We're very excited. And there are schools around the country. We have um, presented at NAASP, which is the National Association of Elementary School Principals, on our model. And so there are schools around the country who are now embracing our model. And uh, we're having conversations with them about actually bringing our model into different places around the country. Anyone who wants to learn more about education through music can go online where? At um, etmonline.org, O-R-G. Catherine Damkohler, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, it was my pleasure. So uh, I hope lots of people are very passionate about music education. And uh, for parents, I hope that they go to their schools um, and ask really great questions. You know, do we have music education? Is it assessed? Um are there benchmarks for achievement? Are our children really learning music? Or are they just sitting down at a concert and having, you know, um, a fun experience, which is valuable. But again, you need the foundation. So I hope that this message gets across and really impacts a lot of the lives of the children, not only in this great Bronx, but as a Bronx gal. <laughs> Here I am, yay Bronx, but uh, um, all over the city and all over the country. So George, you're amazing. Thank you so much for bringing this incredible um, um, mission to the attention of everyone. Our pleasure. Catherine, thank you. You're welcome. Catherine Damkohler is the executive director of Education Through Music. She starred on stage and the big and small screens, but now she's starring in a new role to help keep the arts alive in schools. Carol Channing, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. And do you know, oh, oh, are we on the air now? We are. Oh, gee, George, what's your last name? My last name is Bodarkey. Bodarkey. B-O-D-A-R-K-Y, Bodarkey. Bodarkey. Now, what, oh, how wonderful. What a, people with wonderful names just fascinate me. Yeah, it has Polish derivation, actually. My mom's side is all Italian. My father's side is Jewish. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, what a combination. Oh, you must be great. I oh. try. <laughs> Not as great as you, though, Carol. You and your husband, Carol Harry Collegian, are now yeah. leading a national campaign to restore arts back into public school systems throughout the nation. You've created yeah. a foundation. This is obviously very important to both of you. Oh, terribly important. Well, 
See, Armenians are great art appreciators. They, I've noticed it. His sister Lucille was in school with us. She was 11 when I was 12, and Harry was 13, and we all met then. Your husband's Lucille. Armenian. Oh, yes. He's very Armenian. I always call him a canny, crafty, cagey Armenian. And great art appreciators. So what are you two doing to raise awareness about the importance of arts education? What are we doing to raise awareness? Just well, day that, before that's, yesterday. That's my job. That's, that's, my, that's my job, George. And I think what we're doing that's is... That's true, is, George, it is. Carol, Carol really did it in California for the last four or five years for the state of California and what she did is establish scholarships in 14 different universities. She garnered three doctorate degrees, honorary doctorate degrees from three different universities. And what it amounts to is, it's a very simple, very simple, George. There's a wonderful, wonderful congresswoman named Jackie Spear from the San Francisco area. and Great lady. She's just so inspired by Carol. She introduced a bill in a congress and it's, it's called Arts and Education Week, and it went through the House, and it's in the Senate. Yeah, I would say it went right, and they all, it was, gee, it was a almost unanimous vote. Yeah, and, and it will be what? Uh, it will be Arts and Education Week celebration every week in September of each year. And so we decided to do a national telethon, and we're going Thursday, this Thursday, which is in a few days, and we're going to be in Los Angeles meeting at the nationally known uh, Magic Castle. And they're going to be the producers. They're very experienced. They've got some wonderful people at, uh, in, that, in that organization oh, that yes. have the experience for producing. We're looking for a director. We have a, we have a fundraiser. We have artists. We have, oh, I, we have enough information to do a telethon right now with uh, youngsters all over this nation who are just, just crying out to the public, you know, uh, more. And, and because arts are dying in the United States of America. And then there's the, the fact that we have celebrities, both in New York and in the Hollywood, who will be there on TV with yes. the teachers of art, with the celebrities who oh, are artists. All artists. And the kids and videos. That's the kind of telethon reaching out to the general population of the United States to say one thing and one thing only. We need to bring art back into the educational system of the United States of America, and we've got to understand that it's not just an option. It's not an option. It's an absolute integral part of the human soul, the human being. It's an integral part of education. That's it. And you're hoping to do this telethon next year, right? That's right. We're planning it for next year. Oh, George, how much time do we have left? We have a little bit more time. If you have the time, I have the time. Oh, boy. All right. Could I sing, George, my song? Oh, absolutely. It's called The Show Must Go On. And a truck driver who lives in Modesto, California, where Harry lives, with a lot of other Armenians, and and Modesto, and also, oh, they're everything. It once had the prize for the finest little town in America. Yeah, and if Harry were the mayor, it would be... 
it, it would still be. It would still be. It would still That's be. Right. Yeah, That's but right. anyway, and no, other places have taken over since. But anyway, I talked to this truck driver, and I said, do you want your children to just forget about the United States and what it's built on and how important it is and all that? Don't, don't you? It means the world to children to hold on to this. So he, he wrote me a song, and by the time he got to San Jose from Modesto, it was written. John Wyatt, and so it goes, the show must go on, make sure the marquee's lit, the show must go on, don't let the spotlight sit, the future's at stake, our schools now implore us, just give kids the chance, and you'll see one day their skills will advance, move over, make way. The arts must keep their place in education. The show must go on. Go, uh, uh, come on and board the bus. The show must go on. The children count on us. The, the, the curtain must rise. So strike up the chorus. Yes, it's a fact you'll find. The arts expand the mind in science, history, English, math, biology, zoology, and even sociology, psychology, mythology, and also genealogy, pomposity, verbosity. I'm losing my velocity, but let's keep the arts alive. Let's keep young hearts alive because the show must go on. I just sang that two days ago. Was it day before yesterday? Yeah. Day before yesterday in the middle of Rancho Mirage. Oh, it was the middle of, of Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Yeah, Palm Springs, they gave me an award. And uh, I don't know what for, but anyway. I can't give you an, an award, award, Carol, but can I give you a bravo? That was amazing. Oh, did you like a song? That's an amazing song. And you had a little rap in there, too. A little rap? Oh, yes. Oh, there's a down-and-dirty burlesque beat at the end. Very impressive. Oh, bum, 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 Yes, it is. It's a burlesque beat. I've read, Carol, that your foundation has handed out money to bring musical instruments to elementary school kids. Yes, Harry did that. He, he, he talked to a lady in New York City. Her husband had just died, and he told her, he, there's, this, there's a small town here, 75 people, uh, called Nowhere, California, is it, Harry? Uh, they have a Spanish name. Anyway, they don't speak English hardly, and the little children are there, and they have nothing, no musical instruments, nothing. And her husband manufactured very expensive. She said, then they must have, and he talked to her. And you know how many Armenians can sell anything. And so he, he, they got, he talked to her and said, this is what they need. They need all kinds of musical instruments, as many as they can get, not expensive. She said, no, they should have new ones so they enjoy playing and enjoy learning. And she sent them, and somebody put a telephone in the middle of the room when, the, when all the musical instruments arrived at the school, and I heard them say, what's that? They were opening up the big boxes, and they said, that's a violin. Oh, that's a violin. And then they all, after they got them all opened, I heard all this going on. They, they stood there in line and said, thank you, Carol. And I got the full credit. And well, you paid for half of it. 
Oh, well, yeah, well, sure, I pay for it. What is that? <laughs> well, I mean, it took, you to, it took you to make this possible. What do you two think when you hear that schools cut art programs when the times are tough, when they don't have the money? I, oh, it's just, well, naturally, I yell and holler and cause a terrible problem. I think it's the greatest single tragedy of the 21st century. When you totally put your mind to the uh, materialistic aspect of life, when it, all the values are on the material things, I don't care, Wall Street, the banks, the industry, uh, making money, making a living, and all of that. If that's it, if that's all of it, then you're making a fatal error. If you don't include the arts, you have no culture, you have no feelings for one another, there's no spirituality at all. And you're bored stiff. And and so, with yeah, school. yeah. Carol, let me ask you before we let you go. Do gentlemen really prefer blondes? Oh, I don't know. My hair is white now. (laughs) I certainly prefer gentlemen. I'm a gentleman. Yeah, yeah. I prefer gentlemen. That's more more the truth. (laughs) Carol Channing, Harry Collegian, thank you so much. Oh, you're a dear to let us harangue you like this. Thank you, George. Thank you, George. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. There's so much go on. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. The curtain is coming down. Visit WFUV.org slash Strike Accord to learn more about our campaign focusing on music education. And don't forget, you can visit WFUV.org slash Cityscape to get past editions of the show. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to senior producer Andrea McCreary and producer Marlene Chin. Have a great weekend. Biology, zoology, and also sociology. Let's keep the arts alive because the show must go on.